When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime. Anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, and welcome to The Paddock in the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. For today's guest, I've gone down under to catch up with Sam Friedman a young Australian trainer and member of the famous Friedman Training Dynasty. Sam is working as co-trainer with his dad, Anthony, in Melbourne and looking ahead to Royal Ascot. Thanks for joining me on the show today, Sam. No, thanks for having me, Stephen. I'm looking forward to talking to you about your racing life and also a bit. I've got to put a bit of cricket in as well. Um, (laughs) But how has your season been going in, in Australia? I suppose it's drawing to a close but how's it been going yeah look it's been good we've um we've had a, a good season we've had we've won one group one the blue diamond um and on the whole all our winners in total look like they're going to uh, exceed every year you know we've been getting more winners each year for the last sort of four or five years so we've we made a point this year of wanting to get 100 winners so we're on 99 at the moment hopefully by the time this goes to where we've had 100 and um you know that was a real goal at the start of the season to try and get to that that total but um our, our percentage our winning percentage has been really good our strike rate so that's been you know pleasing but um still a little way to go in the season but it's uh you know it's starting to get into real winter racing now so it's it's you know off-season racing so it's um you know you sort of pick and choose the right horses to have in at this time of year now well, best of luck on the search for 100. Looks like you're going to get there if you're on 99. But to start with, we're going to talk about your beginnings in horse racing. When did you find out the Friedman family was big into horse racing? How old were you? Um, I don't know. I suppose um, probably six or seven or eight, I think, around then when I was – you probably realised that – well, I mean, I grew up on a spelling farm, so I was surrounded by horses the whole time. Um, I guess you, you know, I knew that we were around horses, and I was about ten or eleven when when um, they were really, you know, humming along. They had sort of Maccabi Debra and Mummify and a few other really 
really good horses um, racing, and that was probably when you, when I realised that um, you know the gravity of the, the the way the family had been going with horses, and you know that was probably when I got a real spark to to want to get involved with the horses, and you know I was probably doing it on and off through through school, you know, through school holidays, that type of thing. But I was pretty um, focused on my studies and obviously cricket was playing a big role in my life early on as well. So, um, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, I always loved horses, but it took, you know, probably a little while for me to fully come around to, you know, this is what I really want to do with my career. So, but um, yeah, once I had made that decision, it, it, it you know, I've, I've got a very strong passion for it now and I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Well, yes, your family, you think they've won, is it five, five Melbourne Cups? This is Lee, your dad and uh, and Richard and your great-grandfather yeah. rode the winner three times as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been a rich um, Melbourne Cup history there and she, um great-grandfather rode for the Queen, I think, or, or the King of England actually at some stage. So, um, yeah, it's been a. It, there is a rich history there, and it's it's always nice to reflect on. Um, now, just going to try and make some of my own so that I can <laughs> somehow get up to that sort of expectation. So, when Maccabi Diva won, I think two of the races uh, for the family. How old were you then? Can you remember those two wins? I yeah, I I remember both wins, and I remember where I was. The the one in two thousand and four. I didn't go to the races. I was just at a family friend's. It was a um and it was a it was a I wasn't probably as aware of how significant what was going on. So you're a bit um oblivious to it all obviously when you're that young. But the next year obviously for a third we went to the races and you know it was 120,000 people there and um you know the whole family were there. So it was that was probably yeah, that was an amazing experience. I mean, even still then, you know, I've always said I wish that I was a bit older when it was all happening so you could really appreciate it. But um, it's nice to reflect back on at least and, and know, you know, what they achieved. Well, then moving on your, your horse racing story, you came out to the UK in 2016 and you worked as a people assistant at Roger Varian's at Newmarket for a couple of years. Was that Always the plan to come over and gain experience in Newmarket before you went back to to uh, Melbourne. I know you were playing cricket as well when you came over here. Yeah, it was um, it was a plan to. I think cricket probably accelerated. You know when I was going to consider taking on that sort of role overseas. I was always going to be keen to gain experience uh, in one way or another outside of Australia because it's very difficult for me to work in another stable here. Um, so I think to be able to learn and at least step away from, you know, preconceived ideas on myself in Australia and go and try to work for another trainer here, I think it was, it was the best thing I could do was to get some experience over there and Roger Varian was um, amazing for me. He was he, he really looked after me and gave me a, a really good role to – be able to learn, watch, and you know, educate myself, and he taught me a lot uh, whilst I was there. So, um, you know, that was a it was an amazing experience, and it was amazing to be able to mix cricket in with it. It sort of gave me a nice balance between work and um, enjoyment. Cricket was very much was was an enjoyable experience for me over there, and um, 
Yeah, I haven't actually played, I don't think, competitively since I was playing for Marchtown. So that was really the last time I was, um, yeah, I was playing competitively anyway. Just going back on the racing, how, how different was it now that you've worked in Melbourne training from the UK to, to, to mm. Australia? It's, it's all very different. I mean, Newmarket is unlike anywhere else probably in the world, um, you know, in terms of the the training tools that the trainers have at their disposal and, um, you know, the grass gallops and, you know, the, the, the way the cars stop for horses. I mean, it was, it was completely different to what it's like here. I mean, Australia is very, you know, we've got all the space in the world and our training centres are sort of designed in a, on a, on a 10 cent piece. So it's a lot tighter and it's a lot busier everywhere. We're very fortunate where we train is a, is a country property. So it's not dissimilar to how new, you know, it's not dissimilar to how new market is. We train them up a hill and um, we're able to adopt a few sort of training techniques that, that would be used in new market just because we've got similar access to a similar training track. But in terms of the racing, yeah, it's a Australian racing is thriving at the moment i mean it's a you get huge crowds the turnover is massive the the prize money is very strong england it's a different culture it's a very um you know prestigious there's a lot of history um in the racing game over there i don't um not saying it as a negative necessarily but it's probably not as progressive it doesn't continue to probably move forward and adapt i think whereas australia is very much changing all the time and looking for ways to capture different audiences and um yeah i think that's probably an important aspect of 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 why australian racing is going so well and let's just go back we must talk about the cricket because you played at my hometown club at at marchtown cricket club in cambridgeshire how much did you enjoy playing cricket at march yeah it was great fun it was um you know it was i'd gone from playing you know in a very serious um, game at home, you know, back here in Melbourne um, with Paran, and then you know going over there, and obviously you got a little bit of pressure when you when you arrive to Marchtown and you're the international player for the, for that season. But I just looked at it as a as a really enjoyable experience, and actually found that I probably played some of my best cricket because I was so much more relaxed, and they made it such an enjoyable environment that, that that I didn't feel any pressure. You didn't feel like I didn't feel like I had to perform every week. You know, I just went out there and, and loved it. And um we had a great season. I was um yeah, I no, I absolutely loved my time there. Well I was looking at the records on on play cricket and you were the top run scorer and, and the top wicket taker that season. And you got you got two two centuries as well. You got hundred and thirty in one match. Yeah, it was a it was good fun. I mean as I said, I think having work, working while I was playing as well, took the pressure off the cricket side of it because I did have things outside of cricket, which I think helped performances. I think if I was just there and I didn't have um, anything else, you probably build up more pressure on yourself to perform on that sort of moment. So um, credit to the whole environment that that Marchtown had around their club, and it was a you know it was just a lot of fun. Every 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 weekend was a lot of fun. Well, you returned home to Melbourne after the end of the 2017 flat season uh, to work with your dad. Was that always the intention when you went back to do that? Yeah, it was. It was, um, 
it actually happened at a time when Lee, my uncle, had just moved to Singapore to train. So it, um, the, the timing was right for me to come back, I think, and and take on a, a more significant role. You know, prior to me going to England, I was, you know, working as a stable hand and just marking out and helping out and, you know, running horses up and down and work on the ground, which is obviously a very important part of the whole uh, operation. But I think when I came back, I needed to take on a bit more responsibility and pick up some of the pieces that obviously when Lee went to Singapore, you know, things had to change a little bit. So um, the timing couldn't have been more perfect to, to come back and take on a more, a little bit more of a senior role when I first got back. And at the start of the 2020-2021 season, you then joined to become joint trainer or co-trainer with your dad. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, that's what, so dad sort of came to me and said, look, I think you know, he thought I was ready to, to take on my training license and going to partnership. Um, so I wasn't quite sure. I, was, I wasn't as sure of, you know, you, you, you always have a bit of doubt on whether you are ready for that sort of role or not. But um, I, I think obviously, you know, when dad took his license out, he was only 18 or 19. So it was um, it was very much, you know, he, he drew it into me to say, well, you, you don't know until you take your license and we give it a go. So um, I've loved it. I'm obviously very fortunate to to be in partnership with my dad, who's um, who had an established business and everything. So um, very conscious of that. And I want to make sure that hopefully we can, um, you know, continue to grow and do well and, and you know, strive for more success because it'd be very easy to sort of get into my position and, and not – yeah, and drop off a little bit and, and be a little bit um, yeah, sure of yourself. But I think you've got to, obviously, to succeed, you've got to keep adapting and trying to change things and work out where you can do better. And we're pretty good at our self-assessment. And, um, yeah, it's been it's been tough, but it's been very enjoyable. How many horses have you got? Have you got two bases as well? We've got two stables. So we've got um, the capacity to have about 85 to 90 horses in full work which is as many as we want to have in full work. There's probably about 150 on the books, 160. Um, so horses in Australia, which is different to England, they all, you know, they can often be tipped out for spells just in the paddock where they'll have six weeks where they're not in work, they don't do anything. So that allows you to have more horses on the books than necessarily what are in training. Um, it's good. We've got good pressure on boxes. So if a horse isn't performing up to the level that that we expect it to, we're pretty honest with owners to suggest. Look, it's um, it's very expensive to own a horse in the stable. It's it's probably not worth the races we're going to run it in. It's not going to pay for itself, and and we'd rather be honest with the owners to to give them a good assessment of the horse's ability, and that allows our numbers in training to stay fairly tight because we're not just trying to have horses in the stable to to fill boxes. So that makes that that little bit easier. And do you race all over Australia or are you principally Melbourne? We we do take horses around Australia, but we are, you know, mainly Melbourne um, or Victoria. So there's there's we've always got the two bases, but then during the carnivals, um, you know, like the Sydney Carnival, Queensland Carnival, Adelaide, we will take horses to all of the carnivals if the race suits the horse. Uh, we're fortunate to have really good connections in each state to be able to send horses to different stables and travel staff and um, logistically it can work out quite well. So 
I think um, that makes it a little bit easier. Because it really makes the distances in the UK look they're, they're sort of they're no distance at all here. We're going to Scotland is is nowhere compared to to Australia, is it? It is, but I, I mean, I've always said it sort of. You know, we we will do overnight trips with horses. They'll leave at six at night, and they might arrive at Ramwick in Sydney at sort of four a.m. So they'll have that sort of ten-hour trip, but they'll then race in sort of three days' time. I remember Roger. I took some horses for him to to Newcastle. You know, and you you do overnight trips to to some of those places. It wouldn't be uncommon for us here in Victoria to travel a horse five hours on a on a race morning to get to a racetrack to race them on that day and then travel back that would happen every now and again i think um in england they're 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 much happier to stay a day or two in in a location and um australia we only really do that when they're going into states i think that aspect of it's a bit different and what's it like working with your dad do you complement each other well we do we clash a lot but we do complement each other it's um there's been plenty of disagreements along the way um all of which obviously i lose i lose the arguments but um doesn't stop me trying to have my say anyway so it's no it's been working really well it's um it's a it's a a unique scenario because you you're obviously so close you know as father and son but you've then got a business aspect to it so separating your work from family is an area that you know you're always trying to improve so that you can step away from work and still have a father-son relationship so you know quite often if i'm home for the weekend with mum and dad dad and i'll find ourselves arguing about horses or whatever and it'll take mum to kick us into kick us into line and tell us to stop talking about horses so uh, that happens quite often and i think that that's um it's a healthy relationship we we, we do get on very well and um, as i said we, we're very good at self-assessment so we're pretty critical of um, you know of how horses are going and how we're training, so um, try and be very. I think the more critical you can be of yourself, the the more you can obviously continue to improve. But you've had some group success. You've had Group One success, even quite recently, haven't you? Yeah, we have. We've had some nice success. Um, and we've had the the other Blue Diamond for this year, which was with Dormier, and we've had Artorius, who's been racing at the top level for. A, a couple of seasons now, um, Homesman who won an Australian Cup. So we've we've had good success. I think um, you know you always feel like there's there's ones that get away that you feel like you, you could have won. Um, but yeah, we've we've got a nice team of young horses hopefully coming through that we can we can continue to you know get some get some big wins. The Paddock and the Pavilion now has a large back copy of podcasts, over one hundred and thirty to be exact. In November 2020, I was joined by Sam's uncle, Richard Friedman, another member of the Friedman dynasty who has enjoyed Group 1 victories. In this clip from Episode 16, a star of the turf and TV and the joy of Sub-Zero, Richard recalls his first ever winner at only 18. And I read you were the youngest professional trainer to train a winner in Australian racing history at 18. Is that right? Well, at that time, uh, you know, the, the, there may have been someone younger by a few months because you've got to be 18 to have a trainer's licence. So I got my trainer's licence, I think, on my 18th birthday, and then sometime in that year I trained a winner. So it may still stand as a record, but, I, you know, at the time it definitely was. So what, what do you remember about that day and, and what course was that at? 
I can't remember a lot about it actually. It was at Canberra, uh, and uh, the horse horse's name was Delta Sun. I remember that, and uh, many more. De- I remember he won a twelve hundred meter maiden, and that's uh, that's about as much as I remember. And as you said earlier on the podcast, Australian racing's really on the up and up. I was uh, listening to the the Nick Luck Daily podcast where the TRC race. Rankings at the moment have got four of the top ten horses are from Australia. Why do you think that's the case? I don't know. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I think that racing in Australia just continues to go from strength to strength. It's um, prize money. We've got a bit of a state to state rivalry, which isn't that healthy for the actual product itself with New South Wales and Victoria, but it is very healthy for prize money. So from a trainer's perspective. The, the clashing is clashing in, um, you know, the programming. So the New South Wales will put big races on the same day as big races in Victoria. So it draws the jockeys from different, you know, it thins out the, the, the racing essentially, which is great for trainers because, you know, you can race a lesser horse in a better race with more money. Um, but I think it just, they've, they've nailed the, the product here and, and they're really starting to capture a different audience, a younger audience, that, that which I think is important because racing is obviously being uh, the age demographic for interest in racing probably worldwide has always been quite old. You know, that it's people that have followed it from when they're very young. So I think they're recognising the significance of getting the young into racing. So, you know, having... Um, you know, performances after the last at race meetings and, and you know, having live acts and getting just getting some entertainment to, to give you an option away from the races as well, which I think is important and that's keeping it all, um, you know, in the public eye and then there's a lot of interest around the big races and, um, yeah, it's been good to be a part of. And moving on to Royal Ascot, uh, say Nature Strip, your top sprinter, he won the, the Everest, which one of the richest races in the world. Uh, very, very elegant. He won the Melbourne Cup. They're both coming over to Royal Ascot. And you've also got a horse yourself, Artorias, who's coming over the Platinum Jubilee Stakes on the Saturday of the Royal Meeting. Yep, yep. I think, um, yeah, Nature Strip, he, he'd nearly be the best bet of the week, I think, over there in the King Stand down the straight. He's... Uh, He's a lightning fast sprinter who's done it at the top level out here for a very long time. He's beaten everything that's around here. And um at his best, he's he's probably the best sprinter in the world. And I think he's gonna be very hard to beat in that race. Artorias for us, he's hitting the Platinum Jubilee on the last day. There's another horse from out here, Home Affairs, who's who's coming over, which Chris Waller trains as well, who's who's a very good three-year-old. They're two very good three-year-olds that are coming over. And um, at the weight scale, I don't think they're particularly well off in a Platinum Jubilee, really, um, with the different hemispheres and how old they really are. But um, they're both they're both solid three-year-olds that, that should, that should you know, figure somewhere in the finish. Um, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. They've got to fly over and settle in and, you know, they've got to pick up their work and... So it's, it's a big challenge travelling them, but I think that um, all three of the horses going over for Royal Ascot from Australia look like they're going to the right races, and obviously Very Elegant's gone to um, to France. Um, so you know she's she's arguably maybe in the twilight of her career, whether she's right at the top of her game at the moment. 
um, you know, time will tell, but she, she handles soft ground, which I'm sure she'll get over there. And, um, you know, she's been an amazing mare, obviously, with, you know, how many group ones she's won. So it's good to see Australian horses on the, on the world stage anyway. Yeah, it must be a while since we've had uh, Australians over for the for Royal Ascot. To say your family won with Miss Andretti in back in two thousand and seven. Yeah, and um, that was yeah, obviously a while ago. I think uh, Lee travelled over with her, and I think she had the tr- I think she had the track record there until Lady Aurelia broke it um, a couple of seasons ago. So. Um, yeah, everything's changed a little bit since then, but um, their challenges are still the same with having to take a horse, you know, right out of their comfort zone and travel them across the world. So I think it's, we're fortunate, I think, with the horse that um, we're taking over. Our Taurus, he's a very relaxed horse. He's got a great demeanour and strikes us as the sort of horse that you can travel with, um, you know, with no problem. So hopefully he, he handles it well. Is it a while, have you been sort of, targeting this race for quite a while because it's quite a few months since he ran yeah look it was it was we were talking about this race from um you know before he ran his last run was in the new market which is a big handicap sprint out here in australia and um we we made a tactic tactical error in that race where we were on the right side and we moved over to the other side and they split and we just ended up in the wrong part of the track but um he ran very well he's yeah, and then and we had in the back of our mind to take him to Royal Ascot if he performed well in that race. We we wanted to see him win, and then we would definitely come. But he was a bit unlucky. And Henry Field, who who's who runs Newgate Farm, who own controlling share in Artorias, rang not long after the race, and he was very keen to still go ahead with it. So the horse had pulled up super, and you know since that run, everything's been geared up towards towards this um, towards this race in in England. So. Um, takes a lot of planning, you know, send staff over and um, do all of that. But, um, you know, there's a lot of owners going over and there's 50 or 60 owners going over for the race. So it'll be um, it'll be some fun scenes if you can if you could salute anyway. And this is the race that, that Black Caviar won all those years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, um, Australians are very familiar with, the, with this race. I mean, Black Caviar is obviously a, an icon, so... You know, everyone stayed up to watch it, and I think everyone's quite excited from Australia for for the three horses that are going. Just to, you know, you really do feel like you're representing the country by taking them, and everyone will be cheering them on. So you just want to see them perform at their best. If they're not good enough, they're not good enough. But um, as long as they they do their best, then um, you know, I'm sure everyone will be pleased. Well, I'm sure all the spectators be pleased to see uh, overseas visitors and the Australians back at Royal Ascot. Thank you very much, Sam, for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion and the best of luck at Royal Ascot and hopefully see you while you're over here in the UK. Sounds great. I'll see you over there. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the paddock and the pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the pad and pav. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.